satisfied. It will all be glory. It will all be joy in that sweet home, that happy home. In the beautiful city. Beautiful city. Some happy day where the river of love. Upon the beauty fades not away, and happy will be, and happy will be while the ages fly, while the ages fly. In the beautiful city, beautiful city, some happy day where the river of love, where the river of life goes ebbing by, goes ebbing by. We'll look upon the beauty. Look upon the beauty, and happy will be, while the ages fly, while the ages fly.
waters roll on my tempest-driven soul. I am peaceful for I know, wildly though the winds may blow, I've an anchor safe and sure that can shall not fail for my Sing. Well, there'll be a lot of friends awaiting 
When I walk through the gate, I've got more to go to heaven for than I had yesterday. There's the golden streets to walk upon, a bell I'm gonna ring. A band of angels in the sky, I wanna hear them sing. I wanna hear them sing. Well, there'll be a lot of friends awaiting. When I walk through the gate, I've got more to go to heaven for than I had yesterday. I've got more to go to heaven for than I had yesterday. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. the reason why I love him so. Alright, good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Take your song handouts. Actually, forget that. Take your hymn books. They've got a new program today. Take your hymn books. Page 162 in our hymn book. To God be the glory. Take your hymn books, 162, To God be the glory. Welcome to the service here this morning. We've got a lot of strange things going on today. First of all, we got our hymns back. Amen. Grab your hymnal, hold it up, wave it real high. Praise the Lord for hymnals. Amen. A sign that COVID is going to be, maybe it's in our rearview mirror, but we're moving on and we got our hymnals out and I'm sure thankful for that. And then of course, starting the service late, uh, appreciate everyone being here today. I know every preacher that uh, would go through what we went through here this morning with somebody breaking into the church. You got all kinds of worries and fears and distractions. But the biggest worry that I had, and this is the God's honest truth, it wasn't uh, the possessions and the monetary value, none of that. It was simply the service today because uh, I've got a burden for the message today. And uh, I just felt like that God was just getting ready to do something. And then, boom, all these distractions, we had that. I could name two or three other things that it's just like, wow, all this happening at the same time. And, folks, I'm reminded of a junior high camp that my wife and I, uh, we had a bunch of junior high kids up in the mountains. That night, the power went off. Now, you're up in the mountains, and when the power goes out and you have no light, it is pitch dark. You literally cannot see the person sitting next to you. And uh, we went ahead and had that service, and uh, the brother from 
the church preached on the prodigal son with a flashlight. And I'm telling you what, those kids were tuned in. And uh, we had... um, We had preacher's kids and we had deacon's kids that came to the altar. There was sobbing, there was crying, there was a couple of uh, kids that thought that they were saved, got saved, a couple others were getting right with God. And so sometimes God will just get us off track or he'll allow the devil to try to hinder us so that he can get us focused on the things that really, truly matter, get us out of our routine. So I'm coming today with the expectation that God's going to do something. I trust that you are as well. And as we're singing, it's what it's all about, to God be the glory. On the second verse. Page 129, Rock of Ages. Page 129, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which sin could not atone thou must save and thou alone in my hand no price I bring simply to thy cross I cling while I draw this fleeting breath when my eyes shall close in death when I rise to worlds unknown and behold beyond thy throne rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee all right you may be seated
want a principle within of watchful godly fear, a sensibility of sin, a pain to feel it near. Help me the first approach to feel of pride or wrong desire, to catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire. From thee that I no more may stray, no more thy goodness grieve. Grant me the filial law, I pray, the tender conscience Test, test, test. All right, praise the Lord. Well, uh, I know that many of you are probably curious what was the result of last night's break-in. Well, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for, praise the Lord. Uh, We had uh, a couple of doors kicked in. Uh, We had a safe that uh, they tried to pry open and get into, and uh, they didn't have any success. And so we don't know exactly uh, what they were thinking. We've got some of it on videotape, and so uh, hopefully the police will be able to catch this gentleman. Um, well, this human being, I guess I should say, gentleman might be a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just thankful that they didn't trash the place, that, uh, you know, my concern, we were waiting to come in. The police officers had to clear the building, make sure that the bad guy wasn't still in the building, and so we're waiting, and my biggest concern is this auditorium and the sound booth, and, you know, I was more worried about the service today, and then, you know, if they steal computers and different things, it's not the the value of it that really causes the problem, it's all of the hassle and the information, and, you know, having to redo that, you know, they tear up the sound booth and all those settings and different things that have taken so many hours to get set up, and that was my biggest concern. But thankfully, um, uh, to, to our knowledge so far, they didn't get away with anything valuable, and so we're very, very appreciative. We thank the Lord for that. And, um, you know, a lot of things just uh, trying to distract from the service today. And I do want to say this, if you got the, um, the uh, text earlier, at one time, uh, we had a little bit of a confusion, and we thought that we weren't going to be able to have the morning service until after one, and then we corrected that, and so I hope that that didn't uh, cause anybody any heartache, and there was just a lot of unknowns and information going from one person to the next and so forth, so 
Uh, we tried to handle it as uh, quickly and professionally as we could, but I'm sure that you can appreciate in these situations like this, there's just so many unknowns, and uh, I wanted to make sure that if at all possible, we could still have a morning service. And the service this evening, we've got uh, part of the service will be our Master Club kids, and uh, they'll be uh, reciting their stories and some of the things that they um, did at the Master Club Regionals yesterday, which, by the way, I got to say, it was a blast. I had so much fun uh, watching the kids have fun, and uh, then uh, when they got some of those awards and so forth, it was just so exciting and encouraging. We've got some great boys and girls here at Temple Baptist Church, some great parents, some great Master Club workers and leaders, and so... Uh, it was a real joy uh, as a pastor to be able to be part of that and to see it. And uh, so a lot of things were going on yesterday and so forth. So let me talk about what's coming up the, uh, the rest of the day as well as the rest of the week. At 5 o'clock this afternoon, the chapel will be open for prayer. Come as you, uh, just come and go as you please. And then the service tonight will be at 6 and I almost missed this, kids choir tonight at 5.30 in the youth center. Is that correct, Mrs. Mitchell? And so um, I'm excited and glad that we can get the kids choir uh, going again. Wednesday at 7, Bible study, master club, youth group. And then Saturday, noon is street ministry. And then uh, we have canceled the 7 o'clock ladies prayer meeting. More information will be coming. We're trying to work together a once-a-month meeting where uh, you ladies can spend time in prayer as well as have some fellowship and some fun. And so we are uh, working on the details, and uh, hopefully by next Sunday we'll have those details for you. But we will have our 8 p.m. men's prayer meeting this coming um, Saturday. And then uh, remember, Missions Conference is April 20th through the 24th. Please be praying about it, and uh, please make plans on being here for every service throughout the Missions Conference. This is a Wednesday through a Sunday. We'll be having a fellowship Saturday evening, and so we're going to have a good time as we focus on getting the gospel to a lost and dying world. All right, um, I think that's got all of my announcements. Let's take our Bibles now, and let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And I know that some of you probably uh, had some or uh, have some family plans this afternoon, and uh, I promise you that I'm at least mindful of that, and um, I'm going to do my best to not preach too long. I promise you, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I, I try, and I'm going to really try even harder here today, but I do ask you this, would you please, uh, at the time that we have together here this morning, please don't worry about the time or your plans this afternoon, uh, because we're going to be taking a look at some truths from the Word of God that very well could be life-changing. Whether you're a young person or an old person, we're going to see some truths here that I believe this is a crossroad that every single one of us need to pass by this crossroad and take a look in every direction before we proceed in life, because one of these days, all of this life's going to be over, and we're going to be faced with this big, huge thing called eternity, and standing before our Creator and our Savior, and giving an account of what we did with the cross and what we did with our life. And so please, uh, please pay close attention, open up your heart, 
your mind, your attention span, and let's focus on the Word of God here today. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to speak this morning on the subject of standing faith. I remember a message, this is a totally different message than what I heard years ago by Dr. Herbert Noe. Some of you old-timers remember Dr. Noe. He has preached uh, at least on occasion from this pulpit, at least I've been told that. And he preached a message called Standing Faith. And I listened to that cassette tape of that message during a time where I was struggling with my own salvation, with my own assurance. I was confused, and boy, I needed some scriptural answers. And he preached from this text. His message is very different. I don't even remember uh, the details of his message, but I'll tell you what I do remember is his message helped me immensely in what I was going through. And so I preached the same text and the same title, but the message that the Lord has put upon my heart for you here this morning. Let's go to the Lord and ask His blessings as we, um, as we pray. Father, thank You, Lord, for watching over us last night. Lord, it's only Your goodness and Your grace. And Lord, thank You for making things um, not as bad as they could have been. And Lord, I thank You that we're able to have this service this morning. Uh, Lord, I was worried about it. I know I shouldn't have been. Lord, You're on the throne and You're in control and Lord, sometimes we think that um, what is important to us is, uh, is so vital that uh, what would people do without it? And yet, Lord, I know that you put a burden on my heart for this message, and uh, I just felt uh, so strongly this morning that, um, that I had the mind of God, and, and when it looked like we weren't going to be able to have the service, I was disappointed and frustrated, and I didn't know what to think, but God, you worked it out. And we're grateful. And Lord, we're looking for something that shows your providential and sovereign hand in all of these circumstances. And Lord, use these circumstances to, uh, to get a hold of our heart, to get us to listen and uh, to get us to open up and let this message sink in. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to preach it as I ought to. Uh, help me to um, not spend too much time over laboring any points. But I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit, and God, just to use this message for your glory and honor and for the good of each and every listener. Bless us, we pray, with your presence, without your presence, without your power. Lord, it'll just be words, and we don't want that this morning. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. This is actually uh, part three of our series on faith. And we're talking about standing faith, and one of the amazing things, folks, that I have observed as a Christian and as a preacher is that faith comes in a variety of different ways, in a variety of different 
types of believers. Uh, Every single one of us are different. And the way that we came from being a lost person without faith to a saved person with faith, it's all unique. We all have different stories and different backgrounds and personalities. And the, the way that God got a hold of me is going to be different than the way that God got a hold of you. And that's why I love to hear Christian testimonies. But I want to say this as a very stern warning, and that is this, the devil works hard. He works overtime to make lost people think that they're saved and to make saved people afraid that they're lost. Now, I was a, I was a total worldly carnal, and, and let me preface it with this, and, and, I, and I know some believers that listen more to tradition and listen more to the preacher than the scripture, they have a hard time with what I have to say. And that is this, I I got saved when I was five years old, at least that's what I believe. But I drifted off into the world and I lived a sinful lifestyle through all of my teenage years. And then when I was 19, after suffering conviction and what I was pretty sure was chastisement, God got a hold of my heart, and I got right with Him. And I have to say that when I got right with God, my heart and my life changed drastically. And there was no doubt in my mind that it wasn't me trying to make it happen. It was something that God had done on the inside. And so after I got right with the Lord and stopped living sinful and started serving God and trying to get other people saved and living righteously, it was then and only then that I started having doubts about my own salvation. Listen, I I can remember as a lost teenager being at parties and standing there with my buddies and people in that were doing the same things that I was doing, and the conversation might come up about Christianity or religion. And I knew, I believed in the cross of Jesus Christ, and I would, in a very strange way, I'd be witnessing to the people that I'm partying with. And it was just, I look back on that, and you know, during those times, I never remember a single time doubting for a second that I was saved. Oh, I was just absolutely sure. I'm living a sinful lifestyle, and I'm perfectly content with the fact that I'm saved. Because I got, I got saved when I was five. I went forward to, to, to get reassurance or to make sure when I was nine. And all of these things, I could look back on all of that, and it was real to me, but I wasn't even living right. Never doubted it a second. I got right with the Lord and I started hearing some very dramatic testimonies of salvation that weren't anything like my story. And some of those testimonies caused me to doubt because I didn't go through the same experiences as they did. And boy, you talk about the devil, the devil putting my life and my emotions in a tailspin, telling you what, the devil works overtime. You may be sitting here this morning, I can't see into your souls. Listen, God doesn't tell me to examine others to see if they're in the faith. God tells us all to examine yourself to see whether we are in the faith. 
It's my responsibility to examine whether I'm saved. It's your responsibility to examine. And I know people, I'm probably talking to some of you here today, that you maybe made a profession years ago, and it's never changed your life in any drastic or uh, dynamic way whatsoever, but yet you hang on to that fact that I prayed a prayer, I went forward in VBS, my Sunday school talked to me, uh, my Sunday school teacher talked to me and led me to the Lord, and you prayed a prayer and you hang on to that, but you can't necessarily point to anything changing that it did in your heart and life. You're more comfortable around the world then you're comfortable around Christians. I'm not saying that a carnal, backslidden believer can't be that way, but I am pretty certain as I look at the state of the church of Christianity today, there's probably a whole lot more people that think that they're saved that are lost and on their way to hell than there are people that are uh, saved and just struggling with their assurance or that are saved and backslidden. This is the spiritual realm of the devil, and it's the area that I believe he works about as hard as in any area that he works, even more so than Washington, D.C. Listen, you think that he's worried about our president and Nancy Pelosi and all these different things that are going on. We think he's worried about Ukraine and Putin and all of that. Listen, the devil's already controlling all of that. Where is he working overtime in your heart and my heart and in the heart of lost people to keep them lost, in the heart of saved people to try to discourage them and distract them and take away their assurance so that it paralyzes them from actually being soldiers and servants of his enemy, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this standing faith text, we see some very valuable truths for both fish and fishermen. And we see so many different contrasts between true Christianity and modern Christianity. And so let's just real quickly take an expository look at these five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, starting first of all with verse number 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. We see here a method that Paul is prescribing, at least the method in which he approached the church at Corinth. Corinth. Now, there's nothing wrong with excellency of speech. I I listen to some guys on the radio and some of these great preachers of yesteryear, and sometimes I... I envy and I get jealous of their deep, mellow voices and their method of communicating the Word of God. And sometimes they're just so pleasant and dynamic and it just draws you in. And, and sadly, it's not what they're saying that draws people in, it's how that they're saying it. But there's nothing wrong with excellency of speech in the same manner, if you look at verse number 1, There's nothing wrong with wisdom. Wisdom's a great thing. Wisdom is the principal thing according to the book of Proverbs. But the problem was the carnal tendencies of the church at Corinth. 
You know, we say about Las Vegas, we call it Sin City. Vegas, baby. And in the New Testament times, geographically, if there was ever a city that would be the equivalent of our Las Vegas, it was Corinth. Now, these people at Corinth were just as saved as the people in Philippi and Thessalonica, but the problem is they had a lot of baggage from their culture. Wouldn't you agree that our entire culture in America would be uh, very much like Corinth or like Las Vegas? I know that Las Vegas is worse than uh, some of the other cities in America today, but wouldn't you agree that there are little towns? Here's the fact of the matter. If you looked at it from God's standpoint, Statesville and Hickory and Mooresville and Moxville, we're probably about as wicked and evil as Las Vegas was a hundred years ago, maybe even more. I'd say probably even more. And so we've got to recognize that the same problem that Corinth had are the same struggles that we're we're dealing with in American Christianity today. I I read the story as well as saw the movie about Sergeant York. And it's a great movie, but it's an even better book. And I'll tell you why, because there are a lot of things in the movie that aren't true and that are embellished. How many of you have seen the movie about Sergeant York? The old black and white with Gary Cooper? All right, it's a great movie. I love it. I've watched it probably 15 times or more. And every time that I watch it, I just enjoy it. And Sergeant York was a true, genuine Christian. But if you saw the movie, the way that, that, that Hollywood portrayed his conversion experience is that, you know, he got drunk, he got mad at somebody who ripped him off, and he gets drunk, and he gets on his mule, and he's got his gun, his rifle, and he's getting ready to go kill the guy that ripped him off. And the preacher had already told him that, that listen, faith sometimes comes like lightning, and in the movie, he's going through the storm and the lightning, and the, the lightning hits his rifle barrel and splits it in two and strikes him down. And he, you know, he sobers up and he goes to church where they're having revival meeting and he comes forward and he gets religion, old time religion. Now, old time religion can mean a lot of different things, but the real Sergeant York didn't just get old time religion, he got salvation. And it made a huge huge change in his life. Major change. But the reality of it is, is that that's not how he got saved. He just simply, he, 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 was, um, he was drinking. Uh, he was going through a lot of uh, troubles and trials, and he went to church. And in that meeting, he came forward and he gave his heart to Christ. And it, it wasn't near as dynamic. It wasn't near as entertaining as the embellished version. And you say, well, what's wrong with a little bit embellishment as long as mission accomplished? Well, see, that's the problem that is in America today is that we don't, we value effect more than we value truth. And you know what? I, I, I realize that you can embellish something and so forth, but you know, Paul 
said, my method was not anything with excellency of speech. I think that Paul knew that the carnal nature of Corinth, that if he would have went to them with excellency of speech, like I believe he was able to do, he said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I think that Paul was fully able to mesmerize people with his Bible knowledge, with his Bible explanation, and with his presentation. But Paul said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because Paul was not trying to build his own kingdom. Paul was trying to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look now with me at the the last part of verse number 1. He said, declaring unto you the testimony of God. You know what I see there? I see the message. Not only the method, but also the message. And listen, people today... You know, you, you drive by, I, I get, I get, uh, I read signs and sometimes I read into it something that's, that's not there. And it, it seems like everywhere that you go, you see this sign that I used to think that it was message. But it's not. It's massage. And you know, people would rather have a massage than a message. And you know, the sad part is, is that Verbally and emotionally, that's exactly what the average church has turned into. People come not to get a message, but to get a massage. You're wonderful. God loves you so much, just the way that you are. And, 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 and it's just, it's all ego and it's self-esteem. And it's telling people what they want to hear so that they can leave in their lost condition and feel wonderful about it. Listen, Paul was not the glory-seeking, money-making minister that is popular today. After conversion, he dedicated everything in his life to this message. In fact, he referred to it as his gospel. And he didn't mean that it belonged to him. He just was taking ownership, saying, look, God gave me this message to preach. It's my message to deliver, even though he knew and said in other places that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the grace of God. That message was the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've read Paul's letters to the churches, if you've read the book of Acts that tells about the Apostle Paul, can anyone... Even imagine if Paul was alive today, can anybody see the Apostle Paul selling books? Do you think that the Apostle Paul would take advantage of the printing press and the marketing and social media today and sell books? I'll tell you what Paul would do. He might write books and he might publish, but I can't see him selling books and making millions of dollars off of those books. Paul was ethical. He said, he said to, to the, the church of Macedonia, actually it was a church at Corinth, he said, I, I labored night and day making tents because I didn't want to take any money from you. I wonder what the modern preacher does with that concept. The method... The message. 
All men need to judge for themselves what to believe. Only the Holy Spirit can get through to the heart. Now, look at it once again. He said, I'm declaring unto you the testimony of God. When I think of testimony, I think of a courthouse. And Paul's saying, I'm declaring unto you God's testimony. Christ died on the cross for our sins. We're sinners. He's the Savior. He's the solution. And God, Paul is declaring that testimony of God. Listen, our job is to declare that testimony. Not to manipulate. Not to intimidate. Not to win an argument. Listen, it's not a contest. Who can win? Well, I'm a Baptist. And so I've got to try to win the argument and get get that uh, that Muslim to believe like a Baptist. Uh, good luck with that. You might convince them to become a Baptist, but I've got news for you. The message and the method of the gospel of Jesus Christ, only the Holy Spirit of God can actually do the convincing that will change the heart. Big difference between Paul and Joel. Huge difference. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Paul and less like Joel. If you don't know who Joel is, just I think you get the picture. Amen? Now, the next thing that I want us to look at, verse number 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What I see here is I see a motive. Paul had the right ethical motive in his preaching. In no way is Paul saying that other truths were not important. He he was a steward of the mysteries of God, the mystery of the church, the mystery of the indwelling Christ, the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. Those were vital, important truths that God gave Paul to give to the church. He's not minimizing that, folks. He's simply saying that they weren't ready for those truths. Listen, if you're reading the book of Revelation trying to figure out what's going to go on in Russia, um, and you're not walking with the Lord, or God forbid if you're not saved, what difference does it make if you figure out what's going to happen in Russia and Ukraine and with the, the pandemic and all of these things? What good... All it's going to do you any good whatsoever is intellectually, and it'll give you something to talk about, like the Grecians in, in Athens, that just all they cared about was talking about something new. It'll give you something to post on your Facebook or argue with someone that doesn't see it the way that you see it. Paul wasn't interested in that. Paul says, I'm not going to puff up your mind with information that you're not ready for. What you need because of your carnality is you need to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified for you. He couldn't care less about impressing them with His knowledge. And as I've already said, He certainly could have. You know, God did something real with the Apostle Paul when He revealed all these mysteries and all these truths to him. He said, with, these, with all this information, Paul... I'm going to give you a thorn in the flesh. I don't think for a second that Paul was interested in having a motive of impressing people. 
Because Paul knew that if I start trying to impress people, guess what? The messenger, God's going to just kind of call that messenger of Satan and say, hey, devil, you have my permission. Let him have it. I'm not interested in that, are you? And a real, true man of God is going to experience the same thing if he tries to allow his glory to usurp the glory of Jesus Christ. If he's a real man of God, he's not going to get away with it. I I am convinced the longer that I go in this, and the more that I find out about modern ministers as well as... Listen, I, I have been... There, there have been some ministers of yesteryear that were some of my favorites. And I found out in time that all that glitters wasn't gold. Some of them were very dynamic. And I mean, I, I can think of one that I listened to a cassette tape of his message. And I'm telling you what, I got on my, the floor of my bedroom and I wept and I wept and I repented and I got right with God. And you know what? I didn't know it at the time. In fact, I didn't find out about it until years later. The man was a total fraud. Now that's discouraging. That's confusing. Listen, I know that God used it because the truth that he preached, it was at least true. And I didn't know him. God protected me. Never met the man before. I listened to some other of his cassette tapes, and as I got a little bit older... I started discovering that, you know what, this guy's kind of a little bit shock and awe, and he's like a little bit kind of mean-spirited, and kind of one of these guys trying to impress everybody with how, you know, I can't believe you, I can't believe that he said that. You know, a little, little more macho than spiritual. So I recognize that now, but I didn't then. Paul wasn't interested in impressing anyone. And when you think about it, brothers and sisters, there are blessings of technology. We can listen to cassette tapes. We can listen to downloads from, uh, from the internet. Uh, we can watch Facebook live stream. We have so many avenues to hear the Word of God. And listen, those are blessings. But there's some backlash, some problems that technology brings to light as well. And the fact that the average, there are too many people, too many men who profess to be preachers and pastors and evangelists that claim to be God's men, that their motive behind all of it is to create a big following and to make a lot of money. And I thought about it. It's really not that difficult to do if you don't have a conscience about it. If, you, if all you care about is the results and you don't care about the method and the motive and all of that, listen, I, I see it every day. I could name some preachers that are popular on social media who have built churches that run two and 3,000 people. And I am convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that their motive is exactly what I'm talking about here today. They don't really truth. They don't care about truth. They're not going to tell you the whole counsel of God. They're going to manipulate you emotionally so that you'll give money and that you'll come and the crowds will gather. And listen, they could be 
King James and they could be fundamental and all of that, but they're just, they're just a little bit more subtle and they're just reaching a different audience, but they're doing the exact same thing that the contemporary crowd and uh, the Joel crowd and all of that. It's just appealing to a different fleshly carnal desire. Verse number 3, Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, this, uh, this is the messenger here. We've talked about the motive, and certainly the motive and the messenger, uh, they go hand in hand. But the messenger here, Paul says, I, I wasn't trying to, to impress you. Uh, listen, Paul would not have been flashy. He wouldn't have been showy. He wouldn't have been... Uh, you know, approaching with all of this, you know, manly confidence and so forth. I know people sometimes can be suckers for anyone who carries themselves confidently. Uh, the infomercials, have you ever noticed how confidently that they try to sell their product where you're just sure nobody could be that confident and be not telling the truth? Sucker. Yeah, you can. Now, for some of us, it's hard for us to imagine because we still have a tender conscience. But some of those people, they don't, they, they compartmentalize their conscience and hey, you know, it's all, if, if they buy my product, then that's on them. It's not on me if I ripped them off or told them it was the greatest product and it's not. And so they have a way of compartmentalizing their, uh, their, um, their conscience. Paul wouldn't have been intimidating. He wouldn't have been trying to get people to yield their will to his will. Matthew Poole said this about the preacher. He said, studying rather to be understood by all than admired by any. And if you're going to win souls for Christ and be a gospel witness, then you don't have to be a preacher to apply these truths. These are for fish and fishermen. We all need to approach the, the soul business and trying to get people born again, we need to approach it with the same ethics, be the same kind of messenger, with the same message, with the same motives. The contrast between a, a real a messenger and a fake messenger is the real messenger is just a mailman. But today's messenger seems to be more of a salesman than a mailman. And then look at verse number 4. Paul said, "...in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power." I thought about this for a moment, and Ephesians 4.14 came to my mind. Where Paul warned the church at Ephesus, he said that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul wasn't trying to catch them with cunning craftiness. Listen, emotion is a tricky thing. If you sat under my ministry for any length of time, you know that I repetitively remind you and warn you about emotion. Now, let me say this, and sometimes sometimes what you emphasize, the preface kind of gets lost. 
I'm not saying that emotion is bad. I, I don't think that we should be an emotionless church. I don't believe that our services should be without emotion. I believe that we should, uh, we should cry when the truth is presented, when we sing about heaven and our sins being... I think that we should have tears of joy. We should have tears of sorrow for lost souls. We should have smiles on our faces. We should enjoy uh, the experience of God. We should vocalize with rejoicing. We should say, Amen and hallelujah, and praise the Lord. I think we should hold up our hand or wave our arm and say, yeah, praise the Lord. I think that we should rejoice because we have the victory in Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't want to let the fools that are celebrating March Madness have anything on us. Can you imagine that when we all stand before our Savior and He says, how come you never said amen in church? How come you never said? How come you never praised me? Well, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of shy, and, and and then him show clips of you, you know, watching the Tar Heels on TV or going to the game or Duke or I don't even know who's still in it. I, I I'm I'm still mad about March Madness. Listen, can you imagine though when he says, "How come you sat so stoic?" in that church service, and you didn't say a word, you didn't even smile, you just, you were there. And you say, well, I'm just, you know, that's just not my personality. What about sports? What about your, you know, what about your worldly music? You know, the same people that sit there, it's like, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. But then they turn on their country western in their, in their, um, their pickup truck or in their car. And I mean, they're jamming to it and singing along. Yeah! God says, this doesn't make sense. You know what I say? Shame on us. Shame on us. We got the truth. We got the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are we so self-conscious? Why are we so intimidated? What are we afraid of? Listen, I believe that emotion should be part of our life and our worship experience in our church services. But the problem is, is that it's not something that we should work up. It's something that we should just get outside of ourselves and say, hey, God's worthy of our praise. Amen? It should be based upon the truth. The Spirit of God produces emotion. But emotion is not the Spirit of God. See, that's the problem. You know, our church, and this is not a rebuke, this is just an honest assessment from the pastor. Our church leans more toward, you know, it's like, well, we don't want to be emotional. And we should be a little more emotional. Because these truths are real. The other churches... You know, they're, they're, they just presume that if it's emotion, then it's the Spirit of God. We're over here, scared to death that we're going to be like them, and we need to quit being scared, and we just need to look at the Scripture and say, we need to be not who we are. Yes, we do need to be us. We're not trying to be like the church across town or some other church that we grew up in. We're trying to be 
who we are, but we're trying to be what the Bible says we're supposed to be. And I got news for you. This book says a lot about rejoicing. Amen, brother. It says a lot about the people heard the Word of God, and they liked it, and they said, Amen, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. doesn't mean you have to have an emotional fit. It just means you like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm assuming you're thinking about it. It's like, well, I'm not going to say amen right now. You'll just, I'll just be doing it because the preacher wants me to. I'm not trying to work anything up here. No, I'm not. (laughs) Maybe next service. (laughs) I'm trying to get us to see what God wants us to be. Once again, I, I think I need to say this again. All right. The Spirit of God produces emotion. If we're not feeling anything, then we need to step back and say, hey, something's wrong with me. I'm not walking in the Spirit. I'm not Spirit-filled. So get Spirit-filled. You don't get Spirit-filled by saying amen and rejoicing. All right? So, the Spirit of God produces emotion, but emotion is not the Spirit of God. Emotion can be worked up. Probably not by me. (laughs) But there are some... There are preachers and there are musicians that, man, they can work it up if they wanted to. We don't need to work it up. So, we've got to understand what the Spirit of God is and what He does, but we just don't need to be afraid of becoming like somebody else is. Walk according to truth, not according to fear. Listen, knowledge without feeling is intellectualism. But feeling without knowledge is foolishness. And and I almost forgot to mention this. Matthew 13, in verses 20 through 21, Jesus warned about the people who respond emotionally to the truth. Man, they, they receive the Word of God with joy, but they don't have any roots. Jesus isn't saying, don't get emotional. He's saying, get some roots and be emotional. It's not an either or, it's both. Let's get our roots in the truth of the Word of God. Let's have that stability. Let's have that that faith that will stand in the trials and the persecutions of life. But let's rejoice and have a little bit of emotion while we're at it. Listen, faith works individually with our personality and our experience and our understanding. Listen, a child who knows little can be converted while a Bible scholar who can explain everything can be lost in self-deception. You know what? I hope you'll take this to heart. And I'm, I'm close to being done. Salvation is not a test that you pass. And there are a lot of people, a lot of believers, that you know the right answers to the test. I could question you. 
Your parent could question you. Anybody could question you. And you think that when you stand before God, that God's going to hand you a test. And as long as you have the right answers, He's going to let you in. I got news for you. If you're not regenerated right now, when you breathe your last breath and your life is over, you're going to hell. And the only time you'll stand before God for God to question you about anything is the great white throne of judgment. But if you're saved, then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's not going to be any opportunity to pass a test. You're either born again and regenerated or you're not. Hey, are are, are you married? Well, I'm trying to be. Here's my here's my marriage certificate. Well, what's that all about? Hey, are you saved? I'm trying to be. I went forward. I have all of my proofs and here's my birth certificate right here. Listen, God's not looking for a birth certificate. He's looking for a baby, a new life, regenerated life. Listen, uh, I have been I've been discouraged by lack of visible results. I struggle with that. I really do. But I always ask myself, what am I willing to do to get them? To get visible results. I've known preachers who justify lying in order to get results. Preachers that tell stories and illustrations in their sermons. And I mean, they are powerful sermons Powerful stories that get people down to the altar and they're crying. And I mean, it creates a huge effect. And then I've heard the same exact personal story from a different preacher that was that preacher's buddy until it just like it happened to them and they get huge results at the altar, people crying. It's hugely effective. And then I find out later on that the story didn't happen to either of them. It was made up. And when confronted, they said, well, as long as it has the effect, that's all that matters. As long as it's the, you know, it produces the Spirit of God. Listen, I have faith. You talk about standing faith here. I have faith that God's going to do what He wants to do, the way that He wants to do it. And I don't know about you, you better not have your faith standing in any man. I don't want your faith to stand in this man or any other man because it will not withstand the storms of life. It will not get you to the desired end, heaven, if it's not real. I've seen preachers who accommodate culture in order to get results. Preachers who talk about, oh, preachers need to have an aura. You know what an aura... I'm going to work on my aura, okay? My shtick. You know what? I'd rather, I'd rather say, look, like it or lump it. Take the good, the bad, the ugly. What you see is what you get. May not be much. I confess. I admit. May not be much. But I want to look in the mirror. 
At least it's real. At least it's real. I've seen soul winners who could close the deal and draw the net, and boy, they could get somebody to pray that prayer. And then you never see that person again. Nothing changed. I've done it myself. I was taught that. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And it took the Spirit of God and the truths of God's Word to show me otherwise. You know, Simon in Acts chapter number 8, when he saw the apostles, they had the power of God to lay hands on someone and the Holy Spirit would come. Simon looked at that and he said, I want that. I want that power. How can I get it? Here, here's some money. Give me that. Peter said, your gifts perish with you. You're in the bond of iniquity and in the gall of bitterness. He said, you're a fake. Repent, Peter said. You know, nothing ever says about whether Simon ever repented. I, you know, it says that Simon believed, but I wonder if he believed with his heart. I wonder if he truly got regenerated. I guess we'll find out one day. Conclusion. This is my conclusion, and let me apologize first of all. I couldn't come up with any word that starts with an M. Will you forgive me? So this is just a conclusion. Verse number 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Salvation is a very powerful thing, brothers and sisters. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not saved, very powerful thing. Paul said just a few verses earlier in chapter number 1, he said, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Corinth had their problems. They were carnal. They were baby Christians. And Paul knew that and understood that. But the Christians at Corinth, they'd had a change in heart. They'd been regenerated. They'd been born again. And Paul said, the testimony of Christ It's been confirmed in you. You didn't just say that, yeah, I'm a Christian, but nothing changed inwardly or outwardly. Ultimately, the source of our trust should be in the Bible. Right here. And yet, I may rock your world by my next statement. And yet, the Bible by itself is not enough. How can you say that, preacher? Because Jesus said it. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5.39, He said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. They were holding to the Scripture as what they were standing on For their faith, their belief that they would make it to heaven. But the Lord says, the Bible by itself is not enough. Because you can miss something here. You can read about something and it be absolutely true. And it still didn't happen to you. Salvation experiences are emotional, moral, and intellectual. When a person gets saved, there's going to be some emotion. It may not be when they walk down the aisle. It may not be the same as the emotion that somebody else experienced. One person gets saved and he says, Phew, 
man, I feel like the lo- like a hundred pound weight is off my back. The next person is crying. The next person is shouting, saying, I'm born again. My sins are forgiven. Some people are rejoicing because they're on their way to heaven. Some are rejoicing because they're not going to hell. Some people are rejoicing because, wow, the Lord forgave me and I'm so unworthy. Listen, salvation is going to have some emotion, but it's also going to be moral. It's going to change our morality, the way that we live. If you can live like the world and sin doesn't really bother you, you've not experienced this same power of God that Paul is talking about. It's not just intellectual. Standing faith is experience that agrees with the Bible. It has to be experienced, but that experience... Listen, I know people that had a a great emotional experience, but just like the shallow earth, stony ground, they receive it and all these emotions, but then you never see them again. Nothing changed. It doesn't change the way that they live. Standing faith is experience that agrees with the Bible. The power of God, Paul says, the power of God is often unknown, often misunderstood, and even sometimes abused. But regardless of what we've seen and observed, listen to what Acts 26 verse number 18 says. This is Paul's commission from the Lord. He says to Go and preach to the Gentiles to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. From darkness to light, forgiveness of sins. Not an excuse for sins. Not now that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, so now I can live however I want. That's not what the power of God does with the gospel message. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, when you got saved, it may have happened like lightning. Or it may have come upon you just like a, a little light coming on. And You know, we have these dimmers, knobs or slides or whatever, and well, you can get it down to where you can just barely see a little bit of light, and then you move that slide slowly, and the light just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Your faith, God working faith in you, it could have been like lightning, a flash happened instantly. It could have, God could have worked faith in your heart when you were searching for Him, or God could have just showed up when you weren't searching, and boom, there it is, and you responded. You might have grown up in church hearing the gospel message, and it took some time for it to get from your brain to your heart. Or you might have grown up without any religion whatsoever, and when somebody told you about Jesus, you're like, wow, I wish that I would have known a long time ago. Listen, when I, I already told you that I, I struggled after I got right with the Lord, after I experienced this new creature, that's when the devil started trying to get me to doubt. You know, I tried to get a testimony like the ones I heard others tell about. You know, I grew up in a different culture. Some of the southern culture, 
the emotionalism and the expressivism. I'd never even seen that or heard of that out in tater country. No offense. It was, it was foreign to me, and I, I didn't know what to think about it. It was uncomfortable, just like, you know, if you went to a church that was different than what you, you'd be a little uncomfortable. And I'd hear preachers talk about their regeneration experience, and I'd hear testimonies of saints of God, and, you know, talk about coming forward, remembering the, the date and the time and remembering the color of the carpet at the altar and remembering how that they teared and then uh, they shed tears and then they stood up and said, Woo, glory! And then I never ever doubted it. And I'm sitting there going, I'm doubting it right now. I didn't know what to do with that. I, I thought, well, I need to have a testimony like theirs. I've only been saved. They've been gloriously saved. I want to be gloriously saved. And so I tried. And I tried. And I tried. I'd come forward. And you know, every time I try to get gloriously saved, it left me more confused and more confused and more confused. I can remember the devil telling me, God doesn't even want to save you. And I didn't know what to do. I thought, I, I felt like quitting. I had times where I was so frustrated inside, trying to, trying to please God and serve God and not live like I used to live. And the devil's saying, well, God doesn't even want to save you. And then I, you know, I think, well, what am I doing? Am I just wasting my time? If God doesn't want to save me, then I might as well eat, drink, and be merry, right? I didn't know it was Satan. I was getting frustrated. I was ready to quit. I can remember a couple times where I'd be driving down a country road and I'd see up ahead of me, there's a telephone pole. Let's just end this. You know, when you start having thoughts like that, you know where that kind of hopelessness comes from. It's not the Spirit of God. It's the devil accusing the Spirit of God. And now I know God gave me light from the Word of God. And now I know that all that was causing confusion because it wasn't necessarily real and it wasn't based on truth. It was based on emotion. I couldn't get past knowing. When, when all of that's going on, I couldn't get past knowing what God had done in my life and in my heart and how that it agreed with the Bible. I couldn't get past it. I even got to the point where I came forward in a service and uh, the preacher, the visiting preacher says, what God do for you? So I said, I got saved. And I was just, I was just imitating what everybody else was doing because I wanted this glorious salvation stuff. And I walked out and it's like, how do I explain then what God had already done for me? I couldn't, you know, it, it agreed with the Bible. And so I had to come to the conclusion that my faith needed to stand on the Word of God. It's not just intellectual. It's not just emotional. It's not just informational. It's not just moral. 
Salvation is a new creature and it's all of the above when God does the work and only He can do that work. If you can't really look at your life and say, yeah, I remember when the power of God showed up in my life. You need to consider that. What is your faith standing on? Standing faith, do you have it? Or are you basing your faith on a prayer that you prayed? Something that you did? Came forward in a service? You were baptized? None of that is standing faith. Standing faith is when you are believing and trusting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary and that He rose again the third day. That Gospel message, you have believed it You have trusted it. And when you trusted, you truly put your faith in that. God did a work in your heart and in your life. And you became different than you were before. That and that only, folks, is standing faith. That your faith should stand, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, thank You for the message. Thank You for the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we've had many distractions today, but I certainly hope and pray that when we stand before You one day, when we get to heaven, Lord, that we'll be able to look back at this time that we've had together and say God did something in response to the devil's distractions. I pray, Father, if anyone here or anyone listening is not truly born again, I pray, God, that You'd give them the grace, the strength, and the faith, Lord, to just forget about whatever they've been deceived by, whatever they've thought. Forget about worrying about what anybody else thinks, Lord. In eternity, will it, will it matter? It, it will not. I pray, Father, that You'd work Your grace in their hearts and lives, that they would get born again before they leave this place. Don't let us be complacent. Don't let us be content with a false profession. Have your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that my faith is standing on the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and I have experienced God's power of salvation. He's made me a new creature. If you are sure of that, Would you slip your hand up as a testimony? Preacher, I know that my faith is standing in something that's real and true. Thank you. You can put your hands down. God bless you for that. If you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I'm not sure. I've got some questions. I've got some concerns. Well, I think you know me well enough to know that I don't try to usurp the Holy Spirit. I don't try to manipulate anyone, but if you would like for me to pray with you, no one else is looking, you would like for me to pray for you that God would help you, you're not sure that you're saved and that you have standing faith as a testimony, would you slip your hand up? No one else is looking. God bless you, young lady. God bless you, young man. I'm not sure. Would you pray for me, preacher? 
regardless of whether you raise your hand or not, if you're not sure that you're saved, or here's another thing, if you're saved, but you're not right with God, why not get right with God today? You know, I got right with God in 1986, and my life changed drastically when I gave Him my whole heart. I highly recommend it. I wouldn't say that it's just a perfectly easy life, but i got to say it's a whole lot better being close to the Lord and knowing Him and walking with Him than it is walking the way of the world. Why not take a step forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're not sure that you're saved, why not just, with your head bowed right there, why don't you just say, Lord, I, I, I don't know that I've experienced any of that. Would, would you save me? If you'll do that, believing in the cross of Calvary, God might just do something special for you right here and right now. But the only way that God would do that is if it comes from your heart. Appreciate you being here today. Hope that you have a good afternoon. Hope you'll come back and join us. Prayer room is open at 5. Kids choir is at 5.30. And then the evening service will be at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a, a lot of fun and enjoyment here this evening with the Master Club kids. Some of the kids are going to be reciting their Bible stories and their music and uh, all of that good stuff. They'll be able to show off some of their ribbons and awards that they won. So we're going to have a great time and Depending on how much time that takes, we'll uh, certainly bring a Bible lesson, but we'll have a good time together this evening, so uh, plan on joining us. Let's all stand to our feet. We'll be dismissed. Brother W.B. Sharp, I'd like for you to dismiss us in prayer. Uh, When he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. God bless you.